Picture your life as a four-burner stovetop. One burner represents your family, one is your friends, the third your health, and the fourth, career. Now, if you have them all going at once, you're going to burn out. So in order to be successful, you need to turn one off. If you want to be super successful, they say turn off two. My name is Josh Earl, and by the end of this podcast, we'll see which ones are being left on and which ones are getting turned off. This is Four Burners. Hello and welcome to Four Burners. My name is Josh Earl and joining me today, very special guest, writer, producer, broadcaster, actor, still acting? Oh, God, no. Come on, get back no, into it. No, no, no one wants that. <laughs> Can you please welcome? It's Marie Cardi, everyone. Yay. Hey. Hi, Marie. Hi. How are you? I'm good, friendship. How are you going? I'm good. Now, this is, I was saying to my wife before I got here, because she was asking, she's very excited that you're coming on. Great. She said, is this the longest you've ever spoken to? And I said, it will be. Because you've been on the podcast once before, but that was three other people on that podcast, my old podcast. Haven't we had a long conversation? I don't think we have. I think, I think we've talked of occasionally. I was on your radio show once and you were on my radio show. That's how we do it. Yes. And then, but you, you were on the phone, so it, was, it would have been weirder for you being interviewed by me and the crew at Lime Champions because yeah. it was like just four voices just coming at you. You get used to that, though, when yeah. you call out radio shows and you can always hear the beep. Yeah. Every now and then too, which yes. is really discombobulating. Yeah. Um, uh, it feels like we've talked more because we were such good Twitter pals. Yes. And DM'd each other in rough times. Oh, as yeah. Well. I think that's the thing about people are very anti social media, especially anti Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it. And I understand everyone's grievances call it with it. Yeah, I know. It's dumb. Uh, but there are really good things about it. Oh, I miss it a lot. Um, I, miss, I miss Twitter a lot. I miss what that. Did to our beautiful community. It was well. I remember way back, and I, look, my last podcast really looked at Twitter and got people just read out people's tweets, and it was really fun back in the day uh, when it first weird started. Twitter. We're going to talk about weird Twitter. Let's talk about the teeth. The teeth tweet, which is one of the greatest ones of all time. The chanting of the teeth. Have you ever seen that? I don't think I've seen that one. Oh my god, it's one of the best. We, I loved weird Twitter, and for me, it was a community of writers Twitter yes. as well. Yeah. But then it became, you know, a community of activists and a community of like us all looking up in in Melbourne during lockdown. I know it was a lifeline. You know. Well, the first time I, I realized the power of how good it was. There was, a, I mean, there was the um, in Egypt. It was amazing over there. Yeah. But also in the Brisbane floods. It was amazing in that time as well. When people, Trump got COVID, that was also great very time good. To go on Twitter, but that was more us all laughing, going, "Oh, oh it's this great! Is, this is fun." It was. I think I was at a picnic, and I firstly I ran around like a town crier in a public park, thinking that everyone was going to be as excited. I'm like, Trump's got COVID. It was like you know in Annie the musical. Yes. We got Annie. It was like that. It was me running around Daddy Warbucks's mansion, going, "Trump got COVID!" to all these like picnickers. And then I raced home and got on Twitter. Your Trump COVID was my flume eating ass at uh, at uh, Burning Man. I don't know if you saw that. Someone held up a sign saying flume doesn't even eat ass. And so his girlfriend came on stage and he ate her ass on stage at Burning Man. And I thought that was the greatest day. What the that hell? That was the greatest day Twitter How ever had. I miss that? <laughs> that, was, that was my own, my own thing. Yeah. He ate her ass on stage. Yeah, at a music festival. So my th- tip with music festival, camping one. Okay, yes. You can hook up on the first night. Oh, Second yeah. night, maybe. Third night, no. no. There's don't not enough wet wipes on, in the world. Don't eat ass on the third night. That's what I got. That in my house, that yeah, I got that's taught a good that rule. lesson growing up. Don't eat ass on the third night. I don't, I mean, 
I only know bits about Flume, but I know what I like. And yeah. um, I, does that seem slightly off-brand? Uh, I, I don't know him that well. Like, like Post Malone eats ass on stage, yes. Yep. Or um, what's that one? Jack Harlow would eat ass on stage. You know what I mean? I don't think Jack Harlow would. You don't think so? No, I think he'd be, ooh, yucky. He did come out recently and say he was very vanilla in the bedroom and was quite proud of it. He's a, his nickname is, I think, like Mr. Missionary or something. Okay. And he's like, I'm not ashamed. And I'm like, good for yeah. you. Like everyone, even Megan the Stallion is like, do you know what? I don't want to be freaking the sheets anymore. I'm over it. I'm like, well, great. This is like the little quiet revolution of people going sometimes. And Jack Harlow, I remember reading it going, no, and he was like, and he just got a. Sometimes it's nice to just look into someone's eyes. Why doesn't anyone like that anymore? I'm like, Jack, just take my vagina. But just is, take it. So yeah, when when guys talk like that though, I'm like, are you saying this because you know this is that's going to be the it result? Works. Yeah, there you go. Absolutely well, works. works. Yeah. Now what we do on this show is we talk through people's personal burners, and so this. I don't think I've mentioned this on the show. I got this from a David Sedaris. Yeah, uh, I knew exactly where you got it from. Yeah, Laugh Kookaburra Laugh is the New York Times article. So on David Sedaris, yes. because, of course, all us little nerdy, bookish, funny kids grew up going, I want to be David Sedaris. Yes. When I put out my book, I wanted to be David Sedaris. Should have gone to therapy instead. Anyway, but I was a super fan and still am a big yep. fan. I went to see him recently at the Art Centre and, um, and he was so funny and yeah. beautiful and great. I wrote him fan mail when I was about 18 or 19 years old and he wrote back, yeah, which was incredible. But my favourite story, so I got to interview him many years ago, uh, I think for The Age or some, something like that. I've got a photo of us together. We're pretty much the same height. I'm a little pocket-sized fellow like you yeah. as well. He's small. And so I remember reading one of his last collections, maybe two collections ago, and he was writing about how everyone says how diminutive he is and he said he was once interviewed by someone he was really getting along with and then he, he doesn't usually read the piece afterwards but he, he wanted to and that they described him as bonsai-sized and I was like, oh, my God, that's me. Oh. I'm in a David Sedaris book. Was he was he happy nice. with how you described well, it? Well, he was just saying she was about the same size and, yeah. you know, it wasn't bad but he also said we were getting along, I really liked her. But imagine as a David Sedaris fan reading yeah. his latest book and you go, that's me. Well, this is the thing. So in life's been downhill from the, like that was it. That was the peak of my life. In Laugh Cookabara Laugh, he it's based in Melbourne, and he drives out to Dalesford. No, but the oh. woman who tells him about the four burner, I I would like to track her down. Oh well, and get her I on. mean, I've lived in Dalesford on and off for years, so oh. I could put something on the Dalesford Community Grapevine Notice Board, which is a hotbed oh. of scandal. <laughs> Don't get me started on the Coles car park. Oh, the, oh. the Coburg one is too. Uh, Everything happens at the creek. Everyone's worried about the creek. Oh, really? Snakes? Snakes and also just, just teenagers being teenagers. But what, where else are they going to go, guys? Yeah, Think no. back to when you were a teenager. you got a finger somewhere, don't you? You have to find somewhere. Like yeah. My town, we had a uh, skate park. Kids were picketing for a skate park and the council's like, yeah, but it'd just be teenagers hanging out there. I'm like, yeah, but. Yeah, that's what we want to do. Where else are we meant to go? Yeah. Do you want us to hang out the front of Kmart like we were? Yep. Mm. All right, so we go family, career, health and friends. You choose what order you want to do them in. Let's just do it in that order. Okay, family. Ooh. All right. Well, I started, started heavy. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. So how, you're an only child. I've done yes. my research. Kel Surprise, yes. Yes. So did you have a big extended family though, like cousins and all this kind of stuff? It's really interesting that, and I mean, there are no accidents uh, that we're talking about this one first because family is quite a tumultuous space for me because I'm not close to my blood family anymore. It's yeah. been like quite seismic uh, separation due to kind of lots of previous trauma and stuff like that. Yep. I'm fine talking about it. I feel very safe. Um, but 
it has been a really a big north star in my life, particularly for that reason. Uh, I kind of broke away and went, I'm an I'm an independent fella. I don't need anyone. And that was kind of my modus operandi for many yep. years was like not letting myself be close to people or pushing them away because my assumptions were that family would just disintegrate and fall apart. Yep. But then I realised I, I was making little families in different kind of permutations wherever I was. Like I ran a few, uh, you know, live art events and my nickname was Shomo because I would like cook everyone dinner and, you know, be the kind of parent of that. Um, just in any community, like even Women of Letters and Better Off Said, which two spoke a word events that I like, co-curated and uh, co-produced. But I found that I was seeking family connections in all of those spaces. Yep. Uh, and so that was a big part of why I decided to get married. I got married last year. Oh, congratulations. It was awesome. And he's great. And I, you know, I I really took seriously that I was marrying into his family yep. as much as anything. But that was a fraught space a little bit as well because I thought if anything happens with Eamon and I, I lose not just him but this beautiful extended family that I'm very invested in. Yep. And do I go back to being a, like a solo guy who doesn't get close to anyone so I don't risk that? Um, but you have to let yourself sort of trust, I guess. It's interesting when you talk about marrying into a family because I think that's what gets forgotten sometimes when people talk about marriage. And for those who are anti-marriage, and I, I, whatever you want to believe, if it's not for you, it's not for you. But yeah. I, there was that thing of when I married my wife, Rebecca, mm. It was that thing of marrying into her family and her family were very open and welcoming uh, to me and it was something I didn't realise was going to happen. Like, you know, when you go, oh, we've been together, we'd been together for like seven years before we got married and it was mm. that thing of going, this would just be the same, we'll just have paperwork to fill out. But it's not. No, it feels different, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And for me it was that, again, not being close to blood family for myriad reasons but almost being scared to invest in something in case it goes wrong as yep. well. I was like, oh, can I handle it if this one falls apart? Yep. And I remember um, I, my husband's parents are the purest, most beautiful people in the whole world. His dad, Rod, is basically uh, Kel from Kath and Kim. Yep. He's Kel Knight. He's so pure and good. I, I don't know how they made Rod. He's so good. And once I had my um, van, Kurt Vanegat, parked out the front of uh, his house in Wollongong because we were going to sell it. And I just parked it there and left it and, you know, we were going to sell it locally. And then Rod called me and he was like, oh, Marika, I, um, I just saw the van, had some stuff in it, so I've given it a clean out, I've taken it for a drive, I ran dual fuel through it, gas and petrol, and it was the most dad thing yeah. that I went, Ugh. like I almost freaked out a little bit because I I was moved, yep. surprised because I don't have that sort of parental kind of relationship. But also I got really scared because I went, this feels so nice and now I really want it. Yeah. And what do I do if it gets taken away? Like, you know, I want someone to go, did you get home all right? Or yeah. I put something in the fridge because I knew you were sick. Like all that beautiful stuff. Yep. So that almost like I ended up talking to my therapist a lot about it going, it almost made me want to run away that Rod's act of kindness was so dad-like well, that I went, I don't want to want this. I don't want to want this. Was there any part of you when you found out he did it that, like that, well, that's my space. No, yeah, that's good. No, I loved it. Yeah, but I, I, I got scared of how much I loved it because I, I'd learned to not need that. I was yeah. like, I'm my own parents. I can look after myself. I'm my own wife, you know. And so when someone does this gesture of parental kindness, and you're like, but I don't need that anymore. But thank you, daddy. You I know. Don't... So it was really beautiful. There is, I don't know if it's just a, a male thing, but like my father-in-law lo- loves to keep himself busy. That's how he shows his love. Like I'll do stuff around the house, and he, he would acts of service is that his love? Yeah, language? and it'd yeah. be that thing Same of with Roddy. mowing the lawn, and it'd be like, 
I can do that. Okay. You don't, you don't have to like, and my thing was like, just sit down, relax, spend some time with the grandkids or spend some time with your daughter. I can do the, I can do the chores around the house. I'm just working and I'll get home and I'll do it on the weekend. But then I had to realize, I oh, know he's doing it. Love to be nice. Yeah. What's your love language? Well, what are the love languages again? Okay. So it's I, words I, know of that, I know there's given presence. That's one. Words of affirmation is this, guys. Yeah. Gifts. Yes. Yeah. Um, acts of service, physical touch and quality time. I think uh, quality time because it's the one that I need to set aside. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I do. Uh, what do I? Um, see, what I'm doing with my family at the minute, with my, I've got two, two kids and I'm their basketball coach. And it is one of those things that I'm, Very pure. I'm, yeah, I'm loving it. And it is a real, just seeing them, seeing them kind of uh, have to deal with like just resilience training, really. Mm. They both had two seasons where they lost every game. Oh, I'm a Fitzroy supporter. So I understand yeah, that. I yeah, I go for North Melbourne. So I'm. I'm oh, we nearly right. merged. I know. We nearly merged back I, in the imagine day. Imagine if we did. We'd have so many premierships. Do you know what? Poor old Fitzroy. If they'd managed to hang on a little bit longer, they would be one of the legacy clubs now, one of the legacy Victorian clubs. Yeah. Just as a death to cap- capitalism, you know, it was just like it was all money. They, they keep trying to take us away. They, we wanted, they wanted us with Fitzroy, then they wanted the Gold Coast, then there was talk Ugh. of moving to Tassie, which as a Tasmanian, this is my thing with the Tassie football team. I don't want Tassie to have a football team because I'd rather them have hospitals Near my parents, yeah, because they don't have uh, yeah, it's decent really hospitals down there. Though the footy team, isn't yeah, it, it is like injection to the economy, yeah. and and also I was working in Tassie last week on a project about mainlanders coming to Tassie, and um, on, on someone else's project that I was helping out on. But finding out how kind of closed off they're saying, if unless you were have lived here for the last twenty five years, yeah. you can't call yourself a Tasmanian. I'm like, what you mean, like New York? Yeah, I'm I'm close to that. I've been here for twenty years. Been where? In Melbourne. Wait, do we have the same thing here? You can say you're from Melbourne. I don't care. No, but I, I say I'm from Tassie, so that soon they'll be like, you know. Oh, what? you're still claiming it. Well, I, I was there for 21 years. Maybe you've got special. I think it's like if you move there, yeah. you have to embed for 25 years before you can say you're a Tasmanian. Whereas you were, you know, born and bred. I was I was down there three, four weeks ago uh, doing, do you know, you'd know Van Walker? Yeah. Van and Cow Walker. We were yeah. doing gigs uh down there, Van, me and Van, and uh, Will High Mushroom. Anyway, and um, did you say you were high on mushrooms? Will Will High Marsh. Oh. <laughs> uh, I just didn't know <laughs> if you know him. Will High Marsh, high on mushrooms. Will High Mushrooms. Yeah. I was like, oh, well, did that, you say that quickly because you don't want people to know? No. But you shouldn't have said it on the microphone if you don't want people I'd be to know fine. you were high I, on I mushrooms. Lo- I, I like mushrooms. If anyone wants to give me mushrooms, me I'm too. Happy to Do you know what? I did psilocybin therapy last year. I did like proper supervised. Mushroom therapy was yeah. amazing. I, We're really covering a lot of topics in this first one. I know. In in your now your your family, what role do you play? In my family now, as yep. uh, uh, so with my husband Eamon, and then we now have a dog. We have Maud, oh, nice. who is six and a half months, and she just had her operation two days ago. So she's in a cone as we speak, and so miserable, and it's terrible. And it's been my old dog Bob Ellis died in 2015. And it's taken me this long to yeah. get another dog. And I've never had another dog like with a partner before. I mean, I had partners when I was I had Bob Ellis, but so it's like it's that's changed our dynamic as well, yeah. which I kind of knew it would, but Amos never had a dog before. And the two of them are obsessed with each other. And there was a moment where I went, 
but I'm the dog person. That dog should love me more. But then I kind of went, look, I had BE for 14 years and we were like ride or die. Yep. And Amos never had a dog. So I kind of love that they're like, I'm like, you guys. Is Maud on the bed? She is now. Yeah. But we did crate trainer, which yeah. I was very proud of because I've oh, never no done judgment. that before. And yeah, wow, well, defensive no, no, parent. No, no, me, me going, oh, would you? Um, and then we had her, yeah, we had we had her in a crate next to the bed and now she's she's in the bed with us, which in a cone is a different experience. I woke up yesterday and she had, the, she was resting her cone on my head and it's transparent. So I looked up and she was just looking down at me. It was like I was in an aquarium. Yeah. It was just the two of us just scrutinizing each other through the clear plastic cone. It was an existential moment. Um, okay. Another question. So not to get into the past with your You can family, go for it. I'll let you know. But what was it a, talk about. a Big event or was it a lot more death by a thousand cuts that you went, I don't need this in my life anymore? <sighs> a little from column A, a little from column B. Yep. Like really, really toxic badness back in the day, um, a widespread toxic badness. Uh, and then no one dealing with it yep. really except this guy. Um, so, you know, I was going to therapy and I kind of realised there was a, a really big problem and problems with like secrecy and all kinds of stuff in, in our family. And of course, really wanting to talk about it. I have a big allergy to people not talking about things as a result of that. And then just realising that, you know, other people in the family, they d- didn't want to talk about it. They were allergic about it. They were all really fucked up. Yeah. And I just, you know, I think separating from my mother eight years ago, like it's been the kind of safest and happiest eight years of my life, which is really sad and really complicated and really hard for people to understand, especially my friends who are parents. Yeah. Because they go, I'd never let my kid separate for, I'd never. And you just go, well, it's, you know, different. My mother's unwell and not a safe person for me to be around. Yeah. So I kind of, I'm, I made, I drew that line, which is a big thing. And, you know, Christmases are hard and, you know, those kind of big significant events are hard. At the same time, it was a, a choice that I'm really glad I made. And there's yep. some really good communities out there of people who have had to become estranged from a parent who wasn't safe for them. And I'm very much enmeshed in those communities and there's a lot of support there as well. Great. All right. Family, done. Oh, wow. We really start out with a tough one that there. Was, yeah. yeah. I mean, wow. I didn't even think about it. Didn't even think about it. All right. Here we go. Career. This is a good one. Okay. So you've been working. <laughs> you've been working for so long. Okay. So know, you A million years. What was the first thing you were writing on? The first TV show I wrote on? Yes. Was it mm. All Together Now? Oh, yeah, I got a storyline on All Together Now when I was 15, but that was probably Nepo baby shit, I think. Um, uh, I Jonathan Schiff, the children's television maker, really mentored me a lot when I was 17 in a way that I'm incredibly grateful for and knew that I wanted, because I'd been a kid actor, yep. as we both referenced before, uh, which sadly, no, happily is finished now. Um and he knew I wanted to transition into behind-the-scenes stuff. I was always a voracious writer and reader, as most of us who end up in this business yeah. kind of are. And he kind of let me kind of linger around the corridors of Jonathan Schiff Productions in Port Melbourne for years, and he just put me to work. I was on the crew of Ocean Girl. Yep. Do you remember Ocean yeah. Girl? With um, She could speak to whales. She had Charlie the whale. And, uh, and I was in the art department like video splitting and doing things and like I, I had no experience in that realm but I was in imbe- like I'm so grateful to him for just going all right well I've got nothing for you but you can go and be a yeah you know a shit kicker on crew and I obviously I'd grown up on crew so it was a very comfortable space for me but 
loved being behind the scenes. It was one of those first kind of transitions to like, oh, I don't like putting my face in everyone's face all the time. Yeah. Um, and then he let me be in the script room developing, I think, another series of Ocean Girl, which was the sadly no longer with us, Peter Hepworth and Michael Joshua, two kind of like stalwarts of Australian television writing back in the day, like classic, like we'd go to the pub for lunch, yeah. for writers' rooms, things that you don't do now. But Peter Hepworth was like, good morning, let's go to the pub. And I'm like, wow, being a writer is cool. That's great. So I work at the project and I've yeah. been there for the last six six years, I think, but we used to hear stories of when they first started, and this is only like 14 years ago, the writers would all go and watch a movie in the middle of the day. Because there was nothing to do. Because the story. There's always something to do, though. That's what we think. We're like, how, how do they get away with just going downstairs to the coma and just watching a movie? No, because then you go, it's inspo, it's inspo. No, this was due. We'd go to the the pub yep. and drink. <laughs> so, if the later series of Ocean Girl got incredibly <laughs> kooky, then you know why we were so drunk. Um, so he really let me sort of shadow Peter and Michael in the writers' room there, which was a real baptism by fire in a great way and from that I, I got my first job storyline on Neighbours when I was 19 yeah. and I did that full-time in-house for a year so they were my kind of really early formative ones. When I interviewed you on Triple R I was very excited about that because I used to watch Neighbours like every Around night. that time. My family yeah. were a Neighbours family we all watched Neighbours mm. um, normally while we were eating dinner mm-hmm. watch Neighbours uh, and then yeah around that time I still was watching it and I think me and Dave Graney would talk about it, but like people would think I was taking the piss. I, I have this thing where people just think that I'm taking the piss out of stuff. Well, you are a comedian. I know, but I, I, I there are things I actually am um, genuine, like true love. And I was like, this is neighbors is one of them. I could I would finish work at six. I, it would be on at six thirty. I'd switch off, make dinner. It'd be great. How do you how do you feel about a the ending and b the resurrection? Well, here's the thing. I didn't. I watched half of the final episode. And I said I can't do this because oh, I've been out for so long. But you miss Mike. Just, that was a mate. Guy Pierce appearing was absolute class act. Well, he was apparently also very annoyed that they yes, brought he it was, back. but he still came back for that like beginning of the resurrection. Yeah. But I thought, what are, you do not have to do this. No, you're a very successful, very good actor. Yeah. And I thought, what a lovely, kind man he was to come and like. And he had the whole storyline in plain Jane super brain. Like, was just lovely. Well, Kylie only had like a couple of lines. Yeah, of yeah. course. They, and they shot them all at different times. So. Crazy. <laughs> um, so you were writing there for a year. So what, what was the, like, that's so much work, writing a, like five episodes a week. Oh, no. So what the what the system used to be like at Neighbours back then was there were, I think there were five storyliners and a script producer and we'd spend, God, my memory, I think it was the first two or three days of that week storylining the five half hours. Yeah. And then we'd and we were working in at Grundy's in South Melbourne at the Grundy's building, and we had like the Prices Right upstairs, and nice. all the Prices Right models would come. And sometimes we'd use the Prices Right the question cards as recycled paper. It was pretty cool. Right. Uh, and so, and then we'd write the scene breakdowns, which is the beginning part of the story. Yep. So, which would go out to freelance writers, and they'd just write the script. Whereas, and that was a real to make things turn over quickly, and the the neighbours writers didn't get paid as much as other writers back in the day because they weren't doing a scene breakdown. So all the storylining is done in-house for expediency's sake and then we write the storylines, they go out to the writers. Whereas now, you know, on most things you're in at the story meeting, even if you're writing one episode, yeah. story meeting, you write the scene breakdown, you write all the drafts, whereas neighbours is a bit like, here's the scene breakdown, please give it to us. Yeah. 
And you also made a character skateboard. That was your plan. I did. I made Hannah skateboard yeah. and then I named her boyfriend Caspar because I was obsessed with the movie Kids at the time <laughs> and skateboarding. <laughs> and I just watched the documentary about the making of Kids, which is super problematic. I mean, Larry Clark, yeah. who we all know is very probo anyway, but him and Harmony Corinne kind of like diving into this community and the repercussions it had on these like actual New York skateboarding kids and, you know, it kind of fucked up quite a few lives. Yeah. Um, was amazing. But, yeah, at the time I was like, yeah, Hannah gets a boyfriend called Casper. So, cool. so you're riding on these shows very young. Did you have like, were you one of these people who had like a five-year plan, ten-year plan, this is what I want to be? No, 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 I didn't and I still don't. Yeah. So I feel very lucky and privileged that I've been, I've had a life as a working writer. Yeah. Um, and I've never had, I love working. Like I love all, I love working. I love writing. Yeah. Um, I love curating events. I love doing front of house. Like I just love it. But I've never felt very ambitious you know what I mean? I've yeah. never gone, once I do Triple J, then it's next step is, you know, ABC Afternoons. Like never really. I mean, I kind of ricochet around a bit. And honestly, this year it's been one of the hardest years of my career. And, again, I have been working so I feel very lucky. But the US writer's strike really whomped a lot of projects I had there. And um, I started going, oh, wow, I sort of reflected a bit going, have I sort of snookered myself because of that ricocheting. I've done lots of little things, but I haven't stuck in one lane. Like I haven't just gone, I'm going to work in theatre. I'm going to be a playwright. I'm going to be a TV writer and I'm going to be, I'm going to show run. Like I haven't run a show in years. And I wondered if that kind of cooked me a bit, which, but I'm again, fine. But now I'm going, what am I going to do next? Also, do you believe that because we kind of, you know, pretty much the same age and we, came through where selling out was a bad thing. Do you think that may have also had a, like not having these plans and not having these career goals that you would, like we all have, the, oh, this would be the dream to do this. Mm. But I I can only talk to myself, speak for myself, felt mucky saying it out loud. It's going, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that. Well, that's Australians wanting to cut people down for daring to want something yeah. or chase something or aspire to something. I don't know if I felt that so much. I think I probably felt... Yeah, but burnt out for in public life because I yep. really grew up in public um, because I was early adopter. Of, I was writing a blog back in the day and, you know, then I did the book show. I was on Triple R for 12 years. I was on Triple J. I wrote for The Age and I wrote for Frankie and I, wrote, and I was like, everyone listen to what I have to say. Here's my book. It's funny stories, which I now realise are kind of traumatic stories. Yeah. But um I really wanted to, I just hit it. I mean, I hit a burnout point, but also I just went, even I'm sick of what I have to say at the moment. And I also wanted to go and understand what I really wanted to say, which is where therapy and dealing with all the family shit came into it. Instead of just going, I'm going to turn everything into a funny story. I was like, maybe just be quiet for a little bit. And, and I, I haven't, I haven't missed it. It's interesting because I'm just starting to incrementally move my way back into the public space now. I'm going to start a podcast next year, which is really big and um, terrifying. And there's part of me, I realise there's some scribbles coming up because I went, wow, I really haven't missed the death threats and yeah. the, the rape threats and the critiquing my appearance and the, you know, people waiting for me to fuck up or people dragging up old shit I've said. And yeah. I haven't missed that at all. It's been really nice to just have a kind of lovely, mentally stable life with a beautiful man and do my therapy when things get kind of difficult, 
work harder in therapy, more meditation, all that kind of stuff. I really enjoyed that healing. Yeah. So I, there's a little bit, even though I'm kind of excited to be back in that space again because I love radio, I miss radio, I don't know, podcasting is the new radio, um, and just having that discourse and dialogue with really interesting people, which is what Twitter was as well for me. Yeah. I love all that, but there's a part of me going, all right, here it goes, you know, women in the public eye. Yeah, I, I look like now I, same thing, I worked in the public and received death threats, but mine weren't, it was just, I didn't take them that seriously. Oh, no, I mean, like I didn't get police protection or anything like that. It was just constant. Yeah. And especially when, you know, because I come from a very left leaning family and I'm very grateful for my politics and, um, and I've been a very left leaning person publicly for a long time. So whenever I got kind of scooped up in Andrew Bolt's fucking fishing net or whatever it was and yeah. there's some kind of old tweet or, oh, the ABC is funding this monster. And I always, like, I didn't read him but I'd know when someone over there had written about me because they'd all come and, like, I'd just start stuck in these really poisonous, toxic messages and I'm like, oh, must be featured in Daily Telegraph again. Yeah. Um, and I haven't missed that. There's sort of also there doesn't seem to be much capacity for people to kind of stumble and learn in a public space and that's what I feel when I reflect on me ping-ponging around through all the kind of media in my 20s and early 30s which was a really emotionally chaotic time for me and of course the time when I had a fucking microphone in front of my face I'm like surely that person is occasionally going to misstep because their life is chaos yeah so yeah and also you were doing breakfast radio on ABC which is like no one's at their best at that time. You've got to get up at, what, 4.30 in the I morning. I know, but yeah. it was so fun. Yeah, I, Do you know, I think about that time and Lindsay and Robbie and our beautiful producer Amelia and I, we all still talk that's a great. lot. We have like group chats and still have in-jokes from that time. We all look at that time really fondly. Look, I, I always felt like a bit of an outsider at Triple J because I grew up with Triple R, yep. you know, and I, I think Triple J has an amazing place in terms of particularly kids in regional areas and stuff like yeah. that. But, you know, as a city kid, I was like, I'm too cool for Triple J. And then I was working there. Um, but I would have loved to have done another year or so with Lindsay and Rob. Now I think that at yeah. the time I was like, great, Robbie wanted to go and do a grown-up radio. Lindsay stayed for another million years yeah. and, and then went to um, ABC Illawarra. But... I look back now and we had such a good time and you don't realise how fun those things are until you're out of it. Really, yeah. You know. So how long were you working? Did you uh, I'm leaving and how long did you have left of, at Triple J? Triple J. Oh, we all finished up together. Yeah, but, but I'm saying like you got must have talked and went, all right, we're going to finish at the end of the year and was there like a month or? I can't even remember. Yeah. But it was, that was lovely too because then you felt, you felt like you were really enjoying it. Yeah. But now I look back at that as one of the funnest jobs and it was one of those, you'd know, it's like they put these three, I kind of knew Robbie, yeah. I didn't know Lindsay at all, I was replacing fucking beautiful Miff and of course all the text lines were like, you're you're an idiot, bring back Miff. Oh, yeah, and I, course, I understand what it's like. Yeah, I know, I know, you do. I know. <laughs> well, what a specific podcast you've got. Like this is, you should rename the podcast. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was one of those magical things and that's what they put people together in breakfast radio we see it all the time john owen straubs and kel or whoever it is that they put together sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and robbie and Lindsay, i was one of the groomsmen at Lindsay's wedding you know what i mean like i couldn't believe my luck in finding those beautiful people this is my little thing it's so it's so funny that you say that they just and it happens all the time radio people just get put together and they're they're like be best friends yeah it's like first date for the like yeah anyway but the most popular radio team in this country were friends at at uni 
Hamish and Andy. Oh, thank God you said them and not those fuckheads from, you know who I mean. Yeah. The $200 million fuckheads. Yeah. No, no, but like Hamish and Andy are, like, uh, yes, Carl and Jackie are, are more successful. Oh, but but ha- don't say them. Hamish and Andy are the thing of like, oh, they were friends at uni and then they had this chemistry and yeah. then that's why they worked on radio. And the fact that that didn't become the norm of going, oh, let's get people who have a history who of working are, together. Who are great friends. Yeah. You know, you know, because the beauty of listening to whether it be breakfast, any radio or any kind of podcast or anything like that is listening to people who genuinely are fond of each other yeah. and enjoy each other. So, so having said that, I'm starting a podcast, which I am and I can't believe I'm doing that, but I am very late to podcasts. I, I because I'm an egghead like said bookie works, like yeah. I'm, you know, books and music. And then I started running and cycling and music after a while I was like, oh, I want to get into something. My gateway drug for podcasts was who shat on the floor at my wedding. Oh, amazing. Right? Yeah. That was my like, huh. Yeah. I'm having a little run. Those three pissing themselves laughing. It was so ridiculous and so warm. Yeah. That I really, and I'm actually listening to, you can, <laughs> listening to my dad wrote a porno series one. I listened to it on the walk here. See, That's how behind I am. I've never listened to an episode of that though. Oh, it's so sweet. Yeah. Okay. They they are genuinely having a great time, and that's they clearly know each other. They're fun friends, and I do. I think there's some there's some magic in that. And obviously, in breakfast radio, you be, you either become best friends or or enemies. Yeah. And those stories about people who hate each other who have to show up at four in the morning. And, yep. Ooh, it's not painful. Great. Okay, so here's a question. Uh, if, if it wasn't for what you're doing, like being creative, could you see yourself in another job and being happy? Yep. What, what would the job be? Probably hospo. Yep. Um, love hospo and I'm good at hospo. I was a good waitress and um, I'm, that's why I'm, I'm good at front of house. I can see when, like event, event management, but that's sort of yep. creative as well. But I can see like... The noise is too loud. That's that table can't hear properly. I'm good at like liaising with people in the audience, going, "I can see there's a problem here. How can I help you?" And people yep. just love feeling heard. And uh, we had a lot of older women at the Women of Letters crowds, and they were not short when they didn't like. They were not backwards in coming forwards when they didn't like things, and being able to be respectful and say, "Absolutely, I'll see if I can turn the air conditioning down or whatever it is." Yep. I'm good at hosting things, which is interesting for a shy person because. I like it because I'm not on stage and I have something to do. Yep. And that helps me be busy and it probably helps the shyness and introversion. But it also means like once those events are over, I just go and sit in yep. a very quiet space. So, yeah, running, I'd run, an, I'd run a B&B. Oh, that's good. Yeah. All right, here's my last question on career. Yes. Okay, I'm a, I'm a magic genie and I can grant you any wish to do oh with your God, career. Oh, my God, you wish just open with that. I know. Any, any wish with your career, but only your career. You can't say, oh, I wish that my friend gets like. I wouldn't s- do that. Yeah. What, what's the wish? For your career? Hmm. Oh, that's a big question. I mean, my answer is kind of, it sounds broad, so maybe you can tell me if it's too broad, but I feel like I've moved very happily into a space where I'm writing about things that are genuinely important to me instead of things that I think people find funny or silly or sexy or whatever. To have those projects resonate in a way that is meaningful that that yep. would mean something to me i've written my first feature recently which is a very character driven drama about death i write a lot about death but 
it's really there are a few heart projects that just feel like and I don't I mean I chose not to have kids and I'm really happy about that we should have said that in the family one um and so it it has made me go well what what am I leaving behind that's not just wacky jokes on the radio what's something kind of a way to connect to community and plant something meaningful in the world so for those heart projects to resonate and cut through would be my wish excellent Jeannie that's all right all right moving on to health now so I wish Jeannie's did say that's all right after they granted right. your wishes. <laughs> oh, I just want seven elephants and to win a million dollars. Thanks, Jeannie. That's all right. That's all right. No worries. All right, health. Would you yeah. say you're healthy? Yeah. Yep. Um, when do you think you were at your healthiest? Probably now. Yeah. I'd say maybe. That's a good answer. Yeah. So you're vegan? Yes, 15 uh, years. Was there a, is it a health stuff or just because you're a good person? No, I'm a great person. Yeah. Um, but also I, that was, again, a result of Triple J. I was a voracious meat eater. I love meat and I love cheese and, and I love eggs, all those things yep. that are delicious. And Lindsay uh, McDougall on Triple J had been vegan for a million years. He was a great vegan because he wasn't a dick about it. Yeah. Like I remember I got some boots made and they were brand new leather boots and I wore them into the studio and he was he was like, is someone here wearing new leather? But wasn't like a, oh, enjoy your dead cow yeah. shoes. You know, those vegans. And he always made veganism look kind of fun and accessible and he let us make fun of him, which is very important if you're a vegan because it's hilarious. Um, So he already was a bit of a gateway for me for that because he just was nice and ate good food. Um, And then he dared me to do it for a week at the end of 2008 and I was like, whatever. I never went back. It was so – It was if you asked anyone in my life at that time, it was such a surprising thing because I love meat. (laughs) So was it an easy transition or are you very competitive and went, I have to do this to prove Mm – no, I, I was it. happy to do the week. It was just like, you know, Josh, there's a few things in your life you feel a really big click inside your chest yep. and it feels like all your bones are like this is right and sometimes it's a person and sometimes it's a place or whatever. But I just went, oh, that's, it's ne- I'm never eating meat again. That was it. That was just it. And it was because, I, you know, I love animals. I didn't want to think about how they got to my plate, all that kind of like basic stuff. But, yeah, since, 2015, uh, since 2008 it has been so 15 years so and that, I've travelled the world and eaten a lot of delicious, delicious food. I'm very food oriented. I'm food obsessed. I love food. I was going to say, was this, this was before Eating Animals came out then, the Jonathan Safran Foer yeah, book. Yeah, I can't remember when that book. I think we, know because I bought that to the book show to talk about too and they all made fun of me. But that's how it goes. But, um, yeah, it's been a, I love finding really amazing vegan food. Um, you know, I've had uh, the joy of having a couple of meals with Matt Preston who loves taking the piss out of me about it, but also I make him eat great vegan food and, of course, it's become more and more accessible. Yeah. I remember the first time, how posh does this sound, but, like, when I went to Paris as a vegan in, like, 2012 or 2013, I had to go, here are the places that we're sightseeing because that's the only places we can eat anything. Yeah. There's there's a vegan place over there and now it's, you know, everywhere. I think that which is great. Having travelled a lot through this country um with vegetarians and vegans and stuff like Australia's getting so much better everywhere. It used to just be the big cities. Yeah. Now, now there's always vegetarian or vegan options. I know. In most I feel country like places. I can do it and there's a great app. It's got a terrible name. It's called Happy Cow. Vegans are bad at naming things. And there's an app Anywhere you open it in the world, it will tell you where you're nearest. Like there's a grocery store and like if you're in Iceland, it's like 200 kilometres away, you can buy a packet of chips and you're like, all right, well, I guess I better stock up for the winter. But I found that really helpful. Interestingly, I've travelled a lot, which is great. I went to Japan this year and that was tough. Yeah. I didn't think it was – I thought, well, I've done it in Reykjavik, I'll be fine. Have you been to India? Yes. 
because my sister-in-law was vegan. Yeah, yeah, she said it was really tough there. She thought it'd be great because the curries, you can kind of make it easy. But no, she that's it was tough really as well. Tough. Yeah, I mean, I was on a um, like a writer's festival junket. So thankfully, like they had my dietaries and yeah. it was more accessible. But Japan, yeah, I was surprised. I mean, I did eat, eat some really good food, but then there were there were a couple of times when I don't want to talk about Josh, it was really traumatic, <laughs> but I had to skip a meal and... Um, you know, don't you can talk to my husband about how comfortable that day was for him as I was like, what do you mean there's nowhere to eat? And there was like nowhere I could even, I'm fine with a packet of chips for dinner yep. if that's all there is. There wasn't even that. Uh, Deanne Smith is a vegan, very yes. good, very good vegan as well. Cause what if, makes a good, oh, like Lindsay. Yeah, like yeah. just doesn't, but also gets prepared. Like if we're on a big car trip and we're going through, so yeah. we went snacks, through snacks, snacks, North snacks. Queensland. She was like, well, I've got a bag of apples and some carrots, so I'll, I'll be fine. And um, yeah. Yeah. Lindsay was like that too. All right. So are you a member of a gym or any yoga? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yep. Yep. I'm a, look, I move. This is why I'm very healthy at the moment. Apart from I buggered my back from spending 27 years sitting like a question mark over my desk. But um, uh, so I worked with my beautiful friend, Speck, who used to be my trainer and he now lives in LA. And I'm like, my back's fucked. Help, help me, please. Yep. And I was already doing yoga, but I was doing F45, which I really loved. And um, and so he's come up with this thing for me. So I've now I work out like six days a week. I do Great. reformer and yoga, and I run, and I do weight training, and I walk a lot, and I'm really fit. I love reformer. I haven't done reformer. I do hit classes. Oh, I love here, yeah. but that wasn't helping my back. Yeah. But reformer, oh my god, it's so funny. You're on your little trolley rolling around, and in your head you're like reformer. Yeah, great. Licky boom boom down. Um, so reformer is what is it? It's just you're in a machine. It's not the machine one. Yeah, is it? yeah. You're on the carriage and yep. hooked up to loops and 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 things. It's just like it's like lazy person yoga. It's great. Um, but I do find uh, you need to do yoga. Like I couldn't just do reformer because yoga is a meditative practice and yep. that's really good for MTH. So I did yoga yesterday as well. And um, yeah, so all that I love that. And also, my job is very sedentary. I am by nature a very sedentary person. I love sitting down. Yep. I've married into an obnoxiously healthy and fit family. They're just like, look, the ocean, let's jump in it. I'm like, let's sit on the porch and drink gin. Like why are you all? I am the same. Do my theory? So uh, my family have couches and lazy boys. This is my parents and they've got soft arms on their couch nice. so you can lay down. Oh, nice. My in-laws have a couch that has wooden arms. You can't lie down. Oh, I know those couches. So they're always up. They can't like like can't lie around, and it's a real difference the between the, the two families. My <laughs> dad will lie down and watch TV. He'll watch like say the Boxing Day Test. He'll watch every single ball and just lie down. That's Whereas it. your wife's family are out playing cricket. Yeah, or they'll listen to it on radio. Like her dad loves cricket, but he'll like do something around the listen house to it and while he's doing his yeah, steps, doing something. And it's yeah. like it's such a different mentality just because one you can lie your head down and one you can't. Oh, I don't know if that comes from that with Eamon's family. They're all just like, oh, I've just gone on a 20-kilometre bike. So the thing is I like being active. Yep. But my natural, like I prefer sitting down. And yep. I'm active because I know it's good for my mentee age and because my job is so sedentary and it's just good to to, to get in my body because I live very much in, in this little yep. bit. But it's not like I don't go, oh, and I might just do, you know, a triathlon on top of it. My sister-in-law does that. It's just crazy. They're yep. nuts. I make fun of them all the time in the family group chat. And I just sit at home with dip waiting what? for them to come back. So it was a bad back that made you go, all right, I need to fix this? Is that what it was? I was already very physical. It was more yep. that I had to change the way that I exercise because F45 was great. And, again, F45 is really good when you're travelling. 
Because yeah, it's like the McDonald's arches. Used to be. I know, not so much anymore. But I saw one in Austria, in, oh, in okay. Vienna. But you see the little red and blue and you're like, yep. McDonald's. And you know what you're getting. It's McDonald's. It, just, it t- tastes the same wherever you've done. So I've done F45 in like Darwin and yep. all over the place. But I do find uh, Bikram is, and I don't love Bikram yoga apart from it was invented by a sex pest. Yep. Um, but And also it's just like hot and competitive. And But when you're traveling overseas, it's the same sequence every time, so it doesn't matter if it's not in oh, English. Okay, yep. So, and it's also if you've just flown to Europe and it's like a bajillion-hour plane ride, and you feel like death, you need to stretch out. Well, to sweat out that plane yeah. is a good feeling. So, I actually have done Bikram a lot. Watch, I've always been quite active, but um, yeah, Specs really changed it up to a point where I just really enjoy it. Yeah, I really love it. So, yeah, I'm really healthy. I eat really healthily, and my only vice is alcohol now and it's sort of hard to get like I love wine yeah and it's harder to give up because it's all I've got left I've never been a smoker I've never had a drag of a cigarette I went through a really but I'm I took all the party drugs that I'm sure you did I took some I took yours on behalf of you thank you that you couldn't have I took them all so that that time's finished (laughs) thankfully but um yeah, so I'm like, but drinking's my only vice. But, you know, as we all know, alcohol is your friend sometimes and not other times. So yep. you've got to be careful with it, especially after lockdown. Yeah. Look, I mentioned this last week. I haven't had a drink for two and a bit years. Well, muzzle tov. Yeah, but it's not um, – I'm open to it. Mm. I'm just that thing of like I, my 40th, I got so drunk I fell out of bed by lying still. That's that's too drunk. Oh, uh, hit the ground, vomited, Josh. and then Beck oh, was no, like, and I was like, all right, this is it. This is, and also the hangovers. That, that's what got me. Yeah. I can't deal with the hangovers. No, well, not with good, not with babies as well. Kids, and I've got to yeah. find like, I know children and dogs are very different. I'm not one of those people, but they will both wake you up at 7.30 oh, yeah. in the morning, yep. no matter what shape you're in. And yep. they want all the things that they want every other day. So, yeah. So, um. We'll talk mental health. Do you, so you mentioned uh, you see a therapist? Yeah. Yep. And do you have any red flags that, you know, okay, this is a big red flag that I need to take some time and get. Oh, yeah, yeah, heaps. Yeah. I had a really tough, again, the middle of the year this year, which was when I had big career crisis, which is like, what have I done? Have I ruined my career by being jack of all trades, master of none? Yep. I don't feel that anymore. But I also realized I was getting really fixated on what I didn't have yep. and what I'd missed out on and what I'd fucked up and what I'd, you know, opportunities that I'd hadn't taken because of that self-protective thing. And I'm like, no, no, what have I, you know, I could have just been building something this whole time. And I was like, well, this is not me because I'm generally a pretty positive person. I think coming through everything that I've come through with my family and a pretty painful relationship that ended uh, in 2019, I became very resilient and very self-loving. Like and really I'm like I'm a good best mate to myself, which is a really, really lovely, liberating place to reach. But I realised I was getting really naughty about and negative and I was like, okay, well, this, all right, I can see that this is not working. How are we going to feel? What do you need? You know, you just have yep. a little chat to your little guy inside going, what do you need? How can I look after you? Because you're distressed and not happy. So I just started, this is so trite, but I did start gratitude journaling again, which is a good neural pathway thing, even though it feels so hokey and so influencer. Hey, guys, yep. I'm grateful for hashtag. But every night... Three things, even if it's just, you know, queer eye and hot chips or whatever yeah. it is. But eventually, like that, I, I did that for maybe a couple of months and I started tra- as well as therapy yeah. and meditation. And also sitting with like all those things like radical acceptance, things are the way they are now. 
and you can't change them and that's okay. Being open and curious about what comes next, all that kind of stuff was very helpful. I feel like the little bum bag I've got for tools, mental mental health tools, is more and more robust. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm ever going to be at the point of such extreme crisis as I was in 2015, which was a really, really bad year for me. It feels like you hit a little speed bump and you're like, all right, okay, yeah, maybe a little less of this and a little more of that and then you implement it and it works and it's great. Before 2015, had you been talking to someone about stuff? Not enough. Yeah. You know, I I'd sort of flirted with therapy as every disastrous relationship reached a fucking horrible crescendo as it always did and, yeah. you know, I knew that I had to turn around and look at all my family stuff eventually but I didn't want to because yeah. it wasn't fun. I just wanted to keep putting things up my nose and going to parties, which I did. But that, you know, you can only keep all those balls in the air for so long and so yep. 2015 it all kind of just hit yep. and I kind of crawled to the end of the year and just went, right, I need to really dig into therapy. And the therapy I'm doing, at the, I was with a great therapist for about uh, six years and then I've been and, then, and I reached a great point with that, but I, I felt like I plateaued a bit, and I I could intellectualize my trauma yep. instead of kind of feeling it. So I'm doing EMDR therapy at the moment, which is really hard work. That's trauma recovery therapy. Yep. It's very emotional. I've learned I learned the hard way not to book anything in post because I'm I'm very efficient person. I'm like, oh my friends in town, so I'll have dinner after that, and then I'm like, no, nothing. You got to clear the slate after yep. one of those sessions and just make sure that you do something really nurturing. But EMDR is tough work, but I feel very up for it. Yeah. From uh, your therapy or all your years of therapy, is there something that you think would benefit most people? Is there like a something that benefited you that you think could work for other people? I think meditation. And I also acknowledge that therapy isn't, isn't always accessible for everybody. Yeah. It's expensive. There's, it's really gatekept. They, they should be giving more and more free sessions. So it's really tough. It's tough to find the right therapist, you know, like yep. you find someone, you tell them all your trauma, they're not the right fit or you're smarter than them or they, they say something weird or like it's really tough. Work. Yeah. I had one who just wanted to talk about my relationship with my dad. I'm like, that's fine. That's not what I'm here for. It's like it's and like oh look, and I'm like I understand, and it was really I didn't see them very long. Yeah, and was like I'm not. This is not a good fit. But then you feel tired about going. Oh, I don't want to go and have to do all that again. Yeah. So I really acknowledge that therapy isn't accessible for everybody. But one th meditation is, and I also think there are very specific meditations everywhere. Yeah. On Headspace, on YouTube, on like the free meditations for specific things when you're in a time of grief. Because all we can do is sit in those moments. They're not going to go away. They're going to keep happening to us because we're human and being alive is hard and so people are going to die and we're going to get our hearts broken, all that sort of stuff. So when you're in it, how can you best support yourself? I just think there's so many accessible free resources for guided meditation. You can type in, I hate my dad, yeah. meditation and, you know, it's, and some of them are kooks, like it's YouTube. You like yeah. Some of them are real, you know, Sandra from Perth with the crystals in the background. But I found that, that that's a really accessible thing that is a great, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Great fortifying thing that we can find. Great. Health. Done. Yeah. All right, last one. Friends. Yay! Yay, here we go. So, uh, Chosen family. Friends. Uh, do you have a lot of friends? Yeah. Yeah. Are, they, are you... You put aside time just for friends? What do you mean? As in, well, if you're very busy with your career, do you go, you know what, it's Wednesday night, me and such and such, we always do this, so let's go do this, even if it's watching The Bachelor and talking shit. Yeah, I think to my detriment I have, because of that little independent person that we talked about many moons ago on card one, that because I've travelled so much, I you would miss 
people's important like birthdays or yeah. things. Um, and that I think was a, a result of just me going, I'm just my own, I'm an island, it's fine. So I realise I have to work at friendships and I've lost some really big ones over the years, part of part of sometimes to do with my own behaviour, sometimes to do with other people. Yep. And that's really hard. That's sometimes you wake up at three in the morning thinking about the grief of those lost friendships. That's a kind of big one. Yeah, I've asked this before, but was it like proper friendship breakup or was it just a ghosting? Um, there's been both. both yeah. But the, the I had a really seismic friendship breakup in 2018 and it's taken me a long time to go. Every now and then it's still kind of, I mean, that's what grief is. Yeah. Every now and then it kind of comes up. But you also know... I think that goes back to what I was saying before about focusing on the things you don't have. You know the people that show up for you and that you show up for yeah. and also the people that you hang out with that you feel energised by at the end of the conversation and you don't feel drained and all that sort of stuff and your body is always telling you who should be in your life and who shouldn't be. Yeah. But I I, I realised um, like my best friend Kitty, uh, we were apart during lockdown, I was in, in Wollongong and she was in Northcote and, you know, we've talked a lot about like I know I have to show up for her more and in a better and more, you know, like um, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, I lost my words. Um, more significant and uh, consistent way, yep. you know, like it's like that's what she needs. Quality time is one of her love languages. Um, but I'm I'm pretty good at checking in on people when I know they're having a hard time. I'm not good at accepting help. Yep. That's one of my big things. I don't want to be vulnerable in front of anyone. So That's quite common though. That's I think so yeah. too. So uh, my dearest friends are the ones who will kind of push through that and kind of force their help and love upon me, Yeah, you know. Um, but, yeah, I love my friends. I mean, my friends are my family really. Do you have any friends still from uh, your school days? No. No. I've got um, my best friend from grade six, Susan Giorgio, and I, who we used to be obsessed with young talent time together and started the Joey D fan club. And I wrote about her in my book. Not um, Vince? Come on, Vince. No, no, Poor not Vince. Vince. Um, and Vince Del Tito, that's right. Uh, I still follow young talent time on Facebook and Bevan Adensall is a regular poster. He's just like, that was the greatest time of my life. Here are some more photos from back in that day. I only remember Vince because that's what you would say after you farted in Tasmania, Vince. I don't know why. Why? Instead of saying pardon, you'd say Vince. It was funny. I don't know. And so the guy on TV had a name Vince and we would find it very, very funny. Okay, we're going to have to <laughs> dig into that because I want to understand any, the origin story. Any Tasmanians listening or watching, please let me know. It wasn't just an, a me and Jason Earl kind of thing. That's wild. Yeah. Vince. Vince. Poor Vince Del Tito. Anyway, Susan and I, like I wrote, I thought we'd had a falling out and I wasn't quite sure what I'd done and then we reconnected and it was really beautiful and now we're Facebook mates. But, oh, nice. like, we're not close mates, yep. you know. Uh, how, how have you made all your friends? Is it just through acquaintances or is there? did you go out there and go, oh, I'm going to ask them to be my friend or? I do like, I met a girl at a, a party a couple of months ago and instantly I liked her and I'm like, I said, oh, this is not, I would like us to be friends. And she said, yes, I would like that too. And we've been on two friend dates, went oh, to the theatre and went out for a drink. And it's that's really nice. I don't believe in that Seinfeld thing of you can't make new friends past a certain age. There's always room. I make friends very easily. I fall in love very easily, but also it's that consistency and then keep showing up for people yeah. is important. I do have a really tight-knit group of my very small circle who I holiday with and do everything with and I love them. Um, but I realized that, uh, what was I going to say before? Sorry, I know you can cut around this. Right. Um, what was a good point to how you make friends? Oh, um, I have quite, uh, I've got an amount of facial blindness 
And so I forget people quite easily when I forget faces quite easily and it really upsets people, especially if you work in the public eye and they're like, there's that person from the book show. Yep. But why are you smiling? Are you, do you because I have well? I have a personal story between us two that I was not going to bring up, but it's, it's... Have I walked straight past you before? No, the opposite. It was oh. your birthday oh. at, at the tote, upstairs at the tote. We didn't know each other, hmm. but I knew that upstairs the toilets are better than the downstairs tote one. I was watching a band. That's true, actually. And I walked up the stairs and it was your birthday and you greeted me with such kindness and kind eyes going, oh, hello. And I was like, oh, we don't know each other. But I didn't say it. I went, oh, hi. And I just went to the bathroom and walked out. And then, because <laughs> I knew who you were. And so it was like a weird thing. And then I realised that you were just great. But that's, that explains that why been, you were so Yes, because I would have thought you were someone I knew. Yeah. And I have to fake it sometimes. Yeah. But that's like to my, because I realised that I've got that. And to anyone listening or watching that I've done that too, I'm really sorry. And I don't do it on purpose. And I know it really hurts people's feelings sometimes, especially because sometimes you've had a really big emotional deep dive with someone and then you just walk straight past them on the street. So I realised I had a terrible um, uh, time doing that a few, well, quite a few years ago now where I, I realised I was hurting people. <laughs> This girl came up to me at like a music festival and was like, hi. And I did to her what I did to you. I was like, hey, yeah. you know, and hugged her. And she was like, oh, I like your book. <laughs> like she didn't, we'd never met. And I like, music look, festival, I just like, that. oh, I just embraced her like a long yeah. last friend because I was trying to get on the front foot. Yeah. And so I will always just pretend I know someone when I, but, but my brain doesn't always do it. And it, it's, look, I know David Walsh from Mona has quite severe facial blindness in terms of, he can recognise photographs of people, but when their faces are moving, oh, okay. it, it's very confusing. Yep. Um, mine's not that. It's just that I don't always, I can remember lots of little things, but that really upsets people yep. and I and I have it, have it quite badly. Um, how many people in your life do you think you'd happily drive to the airport if they asked you? Um, do you drive? You drive. Yeah, I drive. Yeah. We don't have a car at the moment. Our car broke down and we can't afford a new one. So we'll get one next year, I hope. Um, oh, heaps. Yep. Heaps. Do you reckon it'd be less people who you'd ask for a lift to the airport? But you don't want to ask, do you? But so you do. You, your car's broken down. You need to go to the airport. Yeah, there's a there's a quite. Yeah, it's less. Yep. It's definitely less. That's it. Must be a common answer, right? Uh, it's the first time I've ever asked it. Oh, really? I thought it was a pretty good question. Yeah, it is a good I think, question. I think I'd happily drive way more people than I'd ask people. Yeah, you don't want to ask. No. Hey, can we? Uh, can I ask it? Because you used to uh, tweet about this mm. with your friends. Your shit, Chris Kringle. <laughs> Do you know what? We're doing a Chosen Family Christmas this oh. year and I'm like, should we do a crinkle? Should shit crinkle come back? And my friend Lauren was like, let's just leave that. I think it was of its time. So for, for the listeners, it was you guys, just a bunch of friends gave we each other just a bunch of friends and shit presents. The whole point was you had to bring the worst present you could think of. So it wasn't specifically, I didn't know I had Josh. You know, yeah. it was like you just bought the worst present you could think of and all the names went in the middle and you picked one. And it was just got. It, it, I think I was part of the. My presence was so mean that people were like, "I don't want to do it." Because <laughs> some people had like, someone once gifted a dead plant, or um, my friend Genevieve, who's sadly no longer with us, but she once did like a basket of her breast cancer medication, like a gift basket full of her breast cancer medication. Terrible present. Um, sometimes the size is good. Like my yep. friend Hotman gave it like a massive op shop paint that you then have to take home from the restaurant. Like it's yeah. like all those things that are, but I, mine were always experiential ones. So one year I gave a single ticket to see um, Rob Schneider live. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to go on your own. 
And then the uh, my ex-partner once gave a night at the Hotel Formula One Faulkner, which is the beginning of the Hume. Yeah. Out that you'd know that. And um, as part of it, as part of the gift, it was Valentine's Day, the night that he bought. And part of the gift, he printed out all the reviews, which were like, there was blood in the sink. We left and slept in our car. There was a murder next door. It was a very murdery yeah. place, Hotel Formula One Faulkner. Um, and then one year I gave, this is very relevant to your interest. So I gave a, a ticket on the Spirit of Taz, leaving Port Melbourne as it was back then, 7 a.m. It's the one I've circled. There you That's go. The, yeah. so leaving leaving Port Melbourne at 7 a.m., arriving Devonport at 7 p.m., and it was on one of those recliner chairs and then <laughs> immediately catching the ship back but with no seat. So and everyone's good. like, we don't want to do shit Kringle anymore. I'm like, come on. That's great. It's monstrous. So but I think I ruined the game. I remember it as, see, I, obviously I'm not saying you were incorrect, but what I thought it was was you got to Devonport, then had to go straight to the to the airport and fly back. No, you That's went it. straight <laughs> back on the boat, but you didn't have a seat on the way back. You had a seat on the way over, a reclining seat, but no uh, seat. Monstrous. And I'm a nice person, but yeah. there's like my real mean streak came out. So when I said let's bring back shit Kringle, it was strongly. The silver lining with that one is I didn't have to spend any time in Devonport, and I can say that being from Bernie. They're yeah, our, they're people our don't like Devonport, do they? Oh, uh, it's just it's just that that small town rivalry thing. Yeah, it's, right. It, they're the same town. I worked with um, one of the writers in the writers' room last week. Lives in Penguin. Oh, the Penguin's and beautiful. Told me a lot. Of, yeah, I saw the Penguin's very gorgeous. Yeah, the Penguin's nice. Here's my little fact about Penguin: misnamed. So in Penguin, there's a creek that had sulphur in it. Yeah. And uh, the next town over is where the penguins actually do go and nest. And that town next over is called Sulphur Creek and Penguin is called Penguin. Oh. They, should, they should have crossed the oh, names no. over. Oh, no, but now they've got all the penguin bins. All the bins. Which he was telling me about are really probo because they fill up too quickly because they're penguin-shaped yeah. and small yeah. and there's a big problem with the penguin bins. And there's also a big, um, what's, the, what's the very bad um, building supply that people, uh, asbestos, there's a big asbestos penguin there as well. Oh, yeah. Well, but, I'm glad we ended up talking about But asbestos is, um, is fine unless it's um, broken up and then it's very dangerous. So, so don't anyone punch that penguin. Don't. Don't, don't punch knock the it penguin down. penguin. All right, so this is the part of the show where we've gone through uh, all four burners and you tell me which ones you are going to turn off, if any. What do you mean if I'm going to turn off? So the whole conceit of the show is No, that, no, I know, but like well, that all four of them can't go at the same time. No, otherwise you burn out. Yeah. So this is, and it's just for today. It's just for where you are right now. You've got family, career, health and friends. Which ones, it's probably easy, which ones are you concentrating on? And then go, which one is is missing? I think I'm, <laughs> I think I'm going to turn off family momentarily only because it's doing quite all right. Like yeah. I don't like... Everything's okay, which of course is the time when you're like, oh, I took Eamon and Maud for granted and now they've both blown up in an explosion. I'm back in Neighbours now. It's like a, that, <laughs> it's Lassiter's explosion. Don't get so in a cheap car. I'll turn that off for now only because I know it's really safe and really lovely yep. and if and when, when it needs more of my attention and energy, then I can turn to it. But at the moment I'm trying to like really focus on getting some of my own projects up next year, the feature and some series and this, you know, elusive podcast. Um, and so I'm excited about that. It's excellent. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, friend. Uh, where can people find you? If you, you've got anything that you want them to, well, you've got the podcast next year. Yes. So keep your eyes out for it's that. It's called Marie Cardi is Going to Die. 
And um, and on and so I'm on Instagram. I've started a public facing Instagram. Account. I've had a private one for years, and no one knew. And there's like I've I've followed so many. I'm probably following you as well, and no one knows it's me. Yeah. And then the other day I'm like, oh, I'm going to do a public one. And so all these people that I've been following for years are like, oh, are you on Instagram? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I've been watching you for a really long time. <laughs> so I'm on Instagram as Marie Cardi. I'm going to be starting a Patreon um, with newsletters and stuff like that, which will point to the podcast. So I'm really entering the realm and terrified. So be gentle with me. Welcome. There's plenty. There's room for everyone here. Thanks, friends. Great. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, viewers who are watching on YouTube. Um, if you are wanting to support the program, uh, go to patreon.com slash D-Y-K-W-I-A. Yeah, Patreon. Keeps the lights on at the L House. And, uh, yeah, there you'll get a bonus episode every week of my music podcast, uh, Pod Machine, where we're looking at all the hit machines and we're going through them numerically. So we started in 1993. I mean, Amazing. Or up to uh, up to the year 2000 now. This is really good intel because I'm trying to figure out what to offer on tiers and yeah. stuff like that and I have no fucking idea what I'm doing. So thank you for this lesson. It's funny. Anyway, thanks for listening to this. Thanks to everyone who's been sharing it uh, and giving five stars and all the places you can give five stars. You're the absolute best. We'll see you next time. Woo. Bye. Bye.